0: We have a church Bible. We are on page 401. For everyone, we are in Isaiah chapter 61. I'll give you a moment to turn there. Well, it is June, the month of weddings. Uh, warms up and the sun shines brightly, potentially. And uh, just yesterday, I was able to go to the wedding of Hunter ...who used to uh, attend here as a student... Um, ...even this month, I celebrate my anniversary... ...this is uh, described by many as the month of weddings... Um, ...and I don't know about you, but I'm not sure what your favorite part of the wedding is... ...for some people it's the big kiss at the end... ...and (laughs) I now present to you and everybody goes nuts, especially the kids... Um, for some of you it might be the vows that come before that. Uh, for some of you it might be the, the charge to the couple that comes before that. For some of you it, it might be the singing. For some of you it might be uh, when, the, when the dad gives away his, his daughter. And for perhaps even the most of you it might be when everybody stands up and you look back and you, you see the bride... That is close, but that's not my favorite part of the wedding. What has become my favorite part of the wedding is when the groom looks back and sees the bride as the bride is coming in. Have you ever seen that? You start to see him try to hold things together, but he can't. And uh, he would probably, I think if they let him, he would probably run down the, uh, run to the altar to meet his his bride. And what I'm learning as I get to know the Lord through my dozen or so years of knowing him, is that what I just described is not even close to the love that the Lord has for his people. And this we find in his word. In fact, today, as we go through the book of Isaiah... We're going to see a bit of a, a tonal shift. We're going to see his love a little bit more clearly, in terms maybe that we can understand. As we've been talking about the, the world-flipping salvation that the Lord has in store, today we're going to see that it won't end with God simply cleaning up the sin of his people. Because that's how some people view Christianity. Just get cleaned up. Um For some, they view Christianity as, well, the world gets fixed. We we restore how we treat other people. And that's true too, but there's more. And today we're going to see so much more. Today we're going to find out that the end of salvation is ultimately a wedding where the servant described in Isaiah, who we know to be Jesus will run to the altar to meet his bride. Though, I will add, in Israel's case, she is not the marrying type. Still though, it's the joy of this wedding that is going to motivate Jesus to be the most tenacious groom in the history of grooms. In fact, this wedding will cost him everything, including his life. So let's dive into God's Word and take a look at the best wedding you'll ever go to. Let's start in Isaiah chapter 61. And I'm just going to read verses 10 through 11 for now. I, that is the servant, will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall exalt." In my God, for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness as a bridegroom decks himself like a priest with a beautiful headdress and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. For as the earth brings forth its sprouts and as a garden causes what is sown, In it to sprout up. So the Lord God will cause righteousness and praise to sprout up before the nations. The first thing we notice here about the servant is the servant has joy. From his mouth, in his soul, according to verse 10. Because salvation and righteousness are like his clothing it's what you can't help but see when you look at him and his appearance is like a bridegroom or a bride adorned at a wedding and not the renatux that you're used to that's what you think of when you think of a wedding outfit but is it decked out like a priest we don't even know the salvation he wears is like that The servant has joy for the wedding that is coming. Now consider the joy that comes as people prepare for a wedding. Only 256 days, sweetie, they decide to tell the entire internet. (laughs) That's nothing. That's nothing. Compared to the servant in verse 11, he's like a garden sprouting up before the nations. The servant's joy will reach every nation and sprout up in praise. Guess what? Entire world? I'm getting married. Now that's great, but have you ever actually planned a wedding? There's a reason why some people take a year or two. It takes tenacity. So many details. So much can go wrong. So much family drama or potential for family drama. One of my favorite couples had their first fight at their wedding reception. Are they here? i'll let you, i'll I'll let you guess <laughs> Ask around during fellowship time. What makes people endure such a thing that I might add you barely remember I barely remember my wedding day, and that was like nine years ago. What motivates people to endure the joy of what is set before them in this case, the wedding. I'm getting married, so they just Work through all the the difficulty. They're not motivated by whatever trouble is present around them. They're looking forward to that day. So the joy motivates and the tenacity follows. And you're going to see that a lot this, this morning. So it is with the servant. Let's keep reading. Chapter 62 verses 1 through 3. For Zion's sake I will not keep silent and for Jerusalem's sake I will not be quiet until her righteousness goes forth as brightness and her salvation as a burning torch. The nations shall see your righteousness and all the kings your glory and you shall be called by a new name that the mouth of the Lord will give. You shall be a crown of beauty in the hand of the Lord. And a royal diadem in the hand of your God. So the servant has tenacity for the wedding. It's going to happen. He won't stop until verse 1 is complete. Until the salvation of of Jerusalem looks like a torch lighting up the nations. And in verse 2, until kings will look on their glory. Like a king will look up and say, now that's how you do a wedding. And in keeping with weddings, the bride, according to verse 2, will get a new name from God. And in verse 3, she will be as precious as a king's crown. And if you've ever gotten married, you know what I'm talking about. The servant is tenacious for this day. That's, That's his bride. He's going to make her glow like a torch so the whole world can see her. And that might begin to raise questions when you consider who the bride is that we're talking about. Let's go there. Point two, the servant's people will be his bride. Let me read verses four and five. You, that's Israel, shall no more be termed forsaken. And your land shall no more be termed desolate. But you shall be called, my delight is in her, and your land married. For the Lord delights in you, and your land shall be married. For as a young man marries a young woman, so shall your sons marry you. And as the bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so shall your God Rejoice over you. The servant has joy, not just for the wedding, but for the bride. He doesn't lose sight. And this is incredible. And any Israelite might be very confused by these words. Were not, they would be. Here's why. Christianity talks about God and people Behaving in very intimate ways. No other religion I know of does that. Ask any Muslim. Allah is is far off. He doesn't want to hang out. He just wants you to obey. But here. There is joy for the bride. That is very different. Than anything, any religious person has yet to understand. But consider the bride we're talking about. Because some of you have been around for this entire sermon series. And you know what we've been talking about a lot? How messed up Israel is. The people who the Lord has spent most of the last 60 chapters... Exposing as cheating, hypocritical liars. Who marries that? And here he's making wedding vows. He's going to delight in these people. And in verse 5, he's going to rejoice over them. If there is a bride... That should cause the Lord as a groom to not only check his phone during the wedding, but just cancel it. It's Israel. This draws to mind a quote by author Jared Wilson. Would you marry someone if you knew at the altar that they would cheat on you every day? Jesus did. Now, I've seen marriages survive adultery. It doesn't happen often, but I've seen it. But let's be real, especially those of you that are married. Or whether you're married or prepared for marriage. How many scandals would it take before you threw down your ring and gave up? How many times? What if they showed no sign of improvement even as the wedding was happening? Hey, check out one of the bridesmaids. This servant, he's motivated by something very different than we are, isn't he? And the clue is in your sub-point. Because I said he has joy For the bride. Not joy in the bride. That's not his motivation. Not her as she is. As we read back in verse 10. The source of the groom's joy. Is God. God's mission of salvation. And so God's servant clothed in the righteousness of God and sent by God, looks at this unfaithful bride and says, I'm going to make her mine for the glory of God. And his joy for the bride, I might add, is not something just for the wedding day. This isn't some big party and then back to normal life. He's going to make this thing work. He's going to make it amazing. Just as a servant has joy for the bride, he'll have tenacity for his bride. In fact, we see evidence of it everywhere. Let's read verses 6 and 7 and see that tenacity. On your walls, O Jerusalem, I have set watchmen. All the day and all the night, they shall never be silent. You who put the Lord in remembrance, take no rest and give him no rest until he establishes Jerusalem and makes it a praise in the earth. The servant has tenacity for his bride. He's got good men guarding her walls, protecting his bride. Or in God's case, he has people like Isaiah and all the Old Testament prophets. To make sure she's not snatched away. To make sure they know when he arrives that they can say, there he is. Look at verse 6. They won't be silent. They'll be as restless as the groom. Because they have the same mission. Verse 7. Jerusalem will be a praise to the earth. A torch to the nations. So the servant has been tenacious and he will be tenacious, not just by himself, but through these watchmen. And the New Testament speaks of this tenacity of these watchmen in Hebrews 12, which was alluded to earlier. Where it calls God's people to look to Jesus, that's the servant, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. And then for the rest of the chapter, it lists watchman after watchman leaving home, <coughs> enduring shame, dying alone, not giving up all for the sake of the wedding. So the whole world might know of this wedding, and not just that, but so many in the world might be at the wedding, and not in the back row. He has tenacity for the bride, knowing that they will live happily ever after. And in that we have our third point, point. and I'll read verses 8 and 9. Let's read about that happily ever after and the joy behind it. The Lord has sworn by his right hand and by his mighty arm, I will not again give your grain to be food for your enemies. And foreigners shall not drink your wine for which you have labored, but for those who garner it, they shall eat and praise the Lord. And those who gather it shall drink it in the courts of my sanctuary. This one is a little bit less clear but it, there's um, there's truth in it. There's joy for the end. And it's found in the second half of verse 8. Because this promise to never give away their food and drink. This makes a lot of sense if you really, really, really know your Old Testament. Because this is a reversal of the long time punishment that God put on Israel for their corporate unfaithfulness back in Deuteronomy. Specifically in Deuteronomy chapter 28 verse 33. You can just write that down. There he said this. A nation that you have not known shall eat up the fruit of your ground and all your labors. And you shall be only oppressed and crushed Continually. And here we see the opposite of that. In other words, while that trouble is what Israel is feeling now, God is promising on his own authority, be filled with joy because that time is ending. And it's not just that it's ending. It's not just that God is taking away the bad. But what he's doing right here is he's reversing the bad into a party. Look at verse nine. This food and wine that had been taken from Israel will not only be returned, given back, but it will be central to a feast at God's house. The people's corporate failure will turn into corporate praise. You see the joy in that? Not just, I'm taking away the bad stuff. You're going to get great stuff. The, and the imagery here, by the way, this, this party at God's house, this would prompt the Israelite reader to think of a wedding feast. There is joy for the end. And with that joy, we have a final call for tenacity as the bridegroom at this point in history is still preparing to come. Let's read verses 10 through 12 and see the tenacity that follows this joy. Go through. Go through the gates. Prepare the way for the people. Build up. Build up the highway. Clear it of stones. Lift a signal over the peoples. Behold, the Lord has proclaimed to the end of the earth, say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your salvation comes. Behold, his reward is with him. And his recompense before him. And they shall be called the holy people. The redeemed of the Lord. And you shall be called sought out. A city not forsaken. I won't hit all this, but we'll hit a bit of it. There's tenacity as we, as we await this day. In other words, the watchman, as we read later in in Hebrews, didn't stop with the Old Testament. As the time grew near for the servant, the groom, Jesus, to come, people kept watching. There was a man born much later who lived in the wilderness. Calling people to watch for the servant. And to receive baptism in preparation for salvation. Do you know who I'm talking about? John the Baptist. He would use these very words. Calling and working for the path to be made clear. And then when the servant came he'd say. There he is. There were shepherds. Who watched their flocks by night. They saw it. There were astrologers, wise men who watched for signs and came from the east. They were looking for it. There was even an old man who waited in the temple of the Lord for decades. Promised by God that he would not die until he saw the servant. And when he looked down at the baby Jesus, he finally said, Lord, I can die now. For my eyes have seen your salvation. All of the watchmen did not give up, waiting tenaciously, finally calling for all people, people like us, to look down and say, there he is. This text shows us why Christianity is the joyful and tenacious mission of salvation. If you're tenacious, it's because you're joyful. And if you're not tenacious, guess what? You've missed the joy. That's joyful because when we call people to Jesus, we're not saying, hey, come to this place where we can give you rules and yell at you for 40 minutes about how bad you are. (laughs) Who would want to come to that? What we're inviting them to is a wedding. Let's not miss that. And it's tenacious because we have the entire world to tell. And that's a lot of people. And it will cost us a lot to tell them. Because some of them will not want to come. How does this apply? All this. Remember, first, that the wedding hangs on the promise of the Lord. We have to do that. Because I don't know about you, just like planning a wedding, we can get caught up in all the small details of how it's all going to play out. And we can lose sight of the, the big picture. That the wedding will happen. We can forget that. Because it might come sooner than you think. And it might come a lot later than you think. But the wedding will happen. And sadly, there are many people you invite that will not come. And I might add, there are many that you think are going to come and they're going to no-show. But the wedding will happen. Some of the people you never dreamed of inviting, they're going to show up. (laughs) The wedding will happen. And it might not look like what you expect. The road there might be a lot harder than you thought. But, as long as the groom is there, who cares? You're getting married. The wedding will happen. So, let that joy make you tenacious. I might add, even if you're a bit annoying to people, You think engaging, you think engaged couples care if they're annoying? (laughs) They don't care. They get married. People might and will turn you down. People might no show. You, after the trouble, after hardship after hardship, might question, is the wedding gonna happen? Yeah, it's gonna. And one of the surest reminders that the wedding will happen, right there. Communion. That's what we're going to do today. Because it's a way we can, according to verse 7, put the Lord in remembrance and stay alert as watchmen. Jesus himself set this reminder in motion on the very night he was betrayed. Because when he was betrayed. Guess what his disciples thought. It's over. But it was just beginning. Jesus himself did this. To encourage his disciples. To remember. That the wedding will happen. And then. After this. Jesus ran to the altar. But the altar of sacrifice. First to die. Securing our salvation and then he ascended running to the altar. Preparing for the wedding day that we look forward to. And the wedding that all of his people around the world are anticipating today and every day. This bread and cup are reminders that Jesus was broken and poured out. So that you could celebrate in the temple of the Lord. In other words, the bread and the wine that makes the wedding happen right here. So if you take part in this, remember that Jesus's blood makes you a spotless bride. And let that joy make you tenaciously run to meet him. Even as you right now have a lot of spots, look forward to the day. The wedding will happen.